Thank you for joining us as we bring you this worship service of 7th Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our reading this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. The Reverend Dr. Leslie Bean is preaching. Her sermon is titled, A Question of Framing. Many thanks to Susan Baker Lena for writing today's liturgy. You'll find the link to our complete announcements in your email. Here is one highlight. This Thursday, the 11th, we will have virtual small groups at 8 p.m. via Zoom. I invite you to join us for that as we spend an hour in conversation, spiritual practice, and adding some color to our daily routines. And now, in preparation for worship, you're invited to quiet yourself, becoming still, as you prepare to worship God. We light a light in the name of God who creates life. We light a light in the name of Christ who loves life. We light a light in the name of Spirit who is the fire of life.
God of opportunity, you long for us to live into our true selves, people made in your image. When we follow your guidance that leads us to this wholeness, we give thanks. When we turn from you and go our own ways, forgive us, remind us who we are, and draw us back to you. And now in silence, we continue in prayer to you. turn from your ways you love us still when we follow our own desires you love us still when we forget who we are you love us still thanks be to god who, who loves, loves us, us into, into wholeness, wholeness. Thank you. 
reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy God, wellspring of life, illumine our hearts and minds that we might be refreshed by your words this day. Amen. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Holy One, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Holy One, your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the inequity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me by showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Holy One, your God, for Yahweh will not acquit anyone who misuses God's name. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Thank you. 
a continuation from the book of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Holy One, your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days God made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Holy One, your God, is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Here ends the reading. I'm guessing that this is a very familiar passage to you. It definitely is to me. When I was a college student in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the Christian Reformed Church that I was attending used this weekly as a part of their liturgy. The congregation would recite together these Ten Commandments to remind ourselves of what God had said to the Hebrew people. This passage is often used as a teaching tool for children and adults alike to help form us into being good followers of God. And I have seen more than one pastor use this for sermon series, working their way through each individual command to see what it is that they have to say for us today. But this passage isn't just familiar because of the ways that the church has used it. It's also popular because of its usage in media, such as the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with him in his role as Moses, receiving these commandments on the tablets from God on the mountaintop. Unfortunately, this is also a, a very familiar passage because of political wrangling that happens around hanging these Ten Commandments in halls of justices and also in courtrooms. Many judges have fought to get them to be hanging there, making it a very Christian space and not welcoming to those for whom this is not something that is part of what their belief system. These commandments have been portrayed over the years as a very constricting and very uh, regulatory way of thinking about how to be a people of God. This was begun early on by the Apostle Paul, who lifted them up as the law, as opposed to the gospel that was offered to us by Jesus Christ. The law binds people in the way that the Apostle Paul understands it, while the gospel frees people. The law was the old way, the way that God first came to the people. But then Jesus offers this gospel that is new, 
that turns us away from having to be so strictly observant of just one way of being in relationship with God. Martin Luther picked up on that as he was beginning to think differently about how to be a Christian. He, he embraced that understanding of law and gospel that was offered by the Apostle Paul. That is very much still a part of our thinking today in the Christian church. This passage is used as a, as a measuring stick. How are we doing as God's people? Often, unfortunately, it's used as a means of control as well. And very often, we lean into that word commandment and see it as a prohib- prohibition of behavior, prohibiting us from us doing certain things. All of this makes it rather a, a kind of negative passage, something that feels heavy when we think about it, that feels like a yoke that's put on us, regulating how we act and move and are in our lives. But when I read it this time, with our Lenten question of where is the choice, it struck me differently. It helped me to reframe this passage from the way that I had traditionally seen it. It helped me to see this in a more positive light, that of claiming relationship. God is expressing a desire to be in relationship, in a specific kind of relationship. This passage comes at the very beginning of God's time with God's people, where God is asking them to love God and only God and not to follow after any others who might be called God by others around them. The Hebrew people were very much a part of a polytheistic culture. And this God was asking them to buck that tradition and to be monotheistic, to follow just this one God. That was a risky proposition. And so they didn't know the Hebrew people. They didn't know how to be in relationship with one God. So this passage lays out, what does that look like? What does that even mean? How do we do that? How do we be in relationship together? God offers these ways of thinking about how to be in relationship together, laying some ground rules some very basic ideas about how to interact together, how to honor each other in this relationship. And by laying out this way of thinking about relationship, God is inviting them into that holiest of dances, the dance of the divine, the giving and taking of love, the giving and taking of respect, the giving and taking that is seeing the other in all that they are. God invites the Hebrew people 
into that dance. And these commandments, these offerings of what does it mean, help them to know how to respond. Our question for Lent asking us, where is the choice, helps me to see this as an invitation to move away from the very shouldness of the commandments, away from the prohibition mindset, and towards the invitation aspect of it and the choice that is given us when God offers these to us even still today. By offering us these invitations, these ways that we can be in relationship with one another and with God, God is acknowledging that being in relationship is hard work. We often fall into the trap of thinking that relationships will just happen. You know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, right? How often have we found ourselves sideways with someone when we just went into our relationship with that mindset? And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a hard spot. Not sure how we got there. Not sure how to get out of it. Good relationships require attention. They require us to show up and be present to one another. They require intention, coming with our best selves, giving the other the space to be their best selves. Most importantly, they require regular choice to show up. We have to choose each day to remain in relationship with one another. It's no different with our relationship with God. We have to choose each day, maybe each hour, to stay in relationship with God. And so as we sit with these commandments, with this passage that is so familiar, I invite us to look anew at what is contained in them and to see them as God's invitation into that holy dance the dance of pure love that is the Holy Trinity. Inviting us in, inviting us to join that circle of love and to enjoy that holy dance of giving and taking in mutuality. It's our choice to say yes, to take these as invitations to how to be in relationship with God and therefore with God's other people, God's other loved, loved, beloved people. We can choose to say yes and follow these, or we can go our own way and not be in that relationship with God. It's up to us. How will you choose to respond? today.
We believe in God who invites us to live as holy people and gives guidelines of how to act. We believe in Christ who shows us what a holy life looks like and calls us to follow that example. We believe in Spirit who empowers us to hear and follow God's words of life. This we believe. Let us pray. God of community, we give you thanks for the ways you invite us into relationship with all of creation. We are grateful for the moments we are fully present to the life around us. We give thanks for the reliable rhythm of waves, the quiet endurance of windswept trees, and the fresh perspective of the cliffs. When we feel stuck in one view, constricted and rigid, we pray for new vision. Enable us to find inspiration in the ways we structure our lives together, that a dance of mutuality might grow. Enable us to believe we have a choice in society's creation, and then give us the resolve of a coastal tree that we too might thrive, even when the wind is blowing hard against us. We pray for the well-being of our siblings around the world, in our nation, and in our neighborhoods. 
Grant them peace when they are weary, healing when they are hurting, friendship when they are lonely. Be in our hearts and in our connections with one another. And now in silence we continue in prayer to you. We make this prayer in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we go forth, we are invited into the holiest of dances, 
one of love and of respect and of seeing each other in all that we are. May the grace of God, the love of the Christ, and the communion of the Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.